in here and so uh, sometimes it feels a little silly and sometimes it doesn't but uh, it's good to declare God's worth in all sorts of ways I'll just leave it there it's okay thanks Um, well uh, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit uh, it's all it I want to just say this why do I spend the time kind of setting it up like this is is simply this is that we all want to consume fruit in other words we all want to consume the good stuff but Uh, as a Christian, we're actually called to produce fruit. Um, And and so when we talk about producing fruit, spiritual fruit can be hard to come by, especially when we think we deserve something better, something different. And so when we talk about spiritual fruit, and, and oh, by the way, for the last several weeks, we've been going through a series about here and now it's it's this examination of these subtle and not always very obvious ways of the kingdom of heaven that resides on earth but the one thing that we realize about heaven on earth these moments where we experience oh that's the world that god intended that's the good stuff it's not the greed it's not the corruption it's not the abuse it's It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, as God intended it to look like and to be. And so that's part of our calling. We're just trying to not just consume the fruit, we're trying to live into and express the fruit. And when we do, we get to experience and demonstrate a little more heaven on earth. Heaven here and now, not just there and then. Let me share with you a story about a dear friend of mine. He was a pastor friend. His office was right next to mine. He was was a fascinating person. I'd never worked with anyone like him. He was sort of what would be considered a double abstract mind. He had such a genius level IQ and he could have been teaching graduate theological studies at, at a seminary. In fact, he really considered, should I go be a professor? The other side of him was crazy creative and he was a master with things um, just telling a narrative and he was our creative arts director Uh, and I thought he could have taken his creative arts and done directing on Broadway he was just uniquely gifted and I got a chance to to work with him for several years and he felt kind of this calling on his life and he transitioned away from our church and he started working for an organization called the Dawn Project, D-A-W-N. It stands for Developing Awareness of World Needs. So my friend Ty, who was this gifted storyteller with this high aptitude, went on a journey to capture some video footage and to begin to tell the story. So he was producing a video, he flew to Africa, and in Africa, he had a tragic accident filming he climbed he had just spent time in this compound uh, and the compound was a group of women who were all living there that had all been infected with HIV because of some of the wartime criminal activity that had been done to them it was basically a, a, a commune of women who were being restored and he, he, he spent some time with them in, and as he went up the hillside uh, there was an accident, a, a rock dislodged, and, and, it, and, it, and it killed him. He's doing the Lord's work, and this is his reward. At least that's how I think about it. In fact, one of the most powerful things that I ever saw was at his funeral. They played the video right before he went up the mountain. And he was actually in the video. He handed someone, 
And he was washing the feet of these women and speaking the love of God over them. This was at his funeral. He passed them on the camera and just started washing these AIDS-infected women who had been basically the victims of wartime crimes. And, uh, and that was a really powerful testimony, especially in light of this. Well, here's the thing. His wife, he had four boys, right? And, and his wife, and wife was a school teacher, but she felt like, well, this was still part of their calling, so she still wanted to answer the call. The two older boys ended up going to college and then getting married, but the two younger boys and mom decided to still go to Africa, and they were there for several years. Only to find out that the, the second oldest boy who had been married had a two-year-old and got leukemia. And you're like, wait a second. At what point is it enough? At what point does God show some level of justice? Where's the fruit, right? How do they deserve that? I think when we talk about what we deserve, uh, it becomes very problematic. We all, I guess the questions that I'm asking is, is when life deals us lemonade, when life deals us hardship, when conventional wisdom would say, if you do this, you get that. If you act nice, if you follow God, if you obey God, if you're faithful to God, then God blesses you. So the questions that I'm wrestling with is what happens to your faith when God doesn't add up in our life? What happens to our love, our faithfulness, our prayer lives, our personal affection for God when our faith gets upended, when circumstances come crashing down? So the couple of questions that I'm wanting to wrestle with as we consider what we deserve is, what is it that you think you deserve? And then the second question is, how do we maybe need to heal what we think we deserve? I think these are really important questions because there is a temptation, valid one, to kind of shake our fist at God and go, how could a good God let this happen? How could I walk in faithfulness and obedience? And we're crying out for the fruit of God to be manifest in our life, and yet what we're called to do is to produce fruit. And all of a sudden we have this intersection of heaven on earth. Because what do we know about transformation? It always happens from the inside out. There's a passage of scripture that will sound remotely familiar to some of you, but I think it sets up really well what Jesus was trying to communicate because it was a bunch of people who were struggling with what they felt like they deserved, what they felt like God owed them. And God, through this parable, confronts sort of their entitlement. They're feeling like God owed them something. So if you have your Bibles, and I want to encourage you, maybe you jot some notes down today as we kind of go through this passage. One of the things that I'm trying to get us to do is to understand that you're not just hearing a message. I want you to be able to learn a message so that you can begin to articulate. Maybe it's a conversation that you're going to have with your kids, with your spouse, but it's a conversation. And the best way to do that is when you actually study the passage and, and, and take notes on it. 
But the passage comes to us out of Matthew chapter 20, and it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And again, it'll sound different, or some passages or some Bibles with translations would call it the parable of the generous um, landowner. Listen to this. For the kingdom of heaven, remember we've been looking at these moments because Jesus is grasping for what the kingdom of heaven would look like on earth. Heaven isn't something that we just experience when we die. Eternity has already begun. And oh, by the way, we get to be ushers of what heaven on earth can look like. So before we start demanding fruit of God towards me, Maybe I'm called to produce the fruit. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to do the work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And about the third hour, so imagine, say, 9 a.m., he went out and he saw others standing around in the market doing nothing. He says, you also go out and work my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went and he went out around the sixth hour. So about kind of the noontime hour and, he, and the ninth hour, about three o'clock. And then same thing about the 11th hour. What? Okay, so let's just blow up the idea of a 40 hour work week and an eight hour work day. These people are working sun up to sundown. And it's not like being some kind of like, you know, like desk job. This is like hard labor. This is in a, in a desert region, working out all day. What is it that you feel like you deserve for working your day? Except that you get what you agreed to, right? And so, uh, and, and so he asked them about the 11th, he said, found them, he says, why are you even standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came in and each received a denarius. What? It's like in the guys who are hired at the beginning of the day, just you could only imagine dollar signs are adding up, right? And then they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only one hour, uh, they said, and, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired the the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am so generous? Again, Conventional wisdom asks the question, what happens when I work hard, when I make good decisions, when I do the things and things still don't work out? See, as we discover in life, it's the same as we we find that grace isn't fair. There is an unfairness to grace that I think we need to wrap our hearts around, wrap our arms around so that we can understand the economy of God is not like ours. And and the picture that we, we get is that we don't always like how and who God blesses. And yet Matthew chapter five would say these words, God causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we're like, Oh, hell no. They don't deserve that. And we think that's hell 
on earth. And he's like, are, are, you, are you envious because I'm generous? Because I bless those that you think you're better than or less deserving of? But what we fail to see is we're all sort of in the same level playing field. And it's very easy, and there's many times in my life that I want to hold God hostage. I want to hold God in contempt for not taking care of me as much as I feel like he should. And then it's very easy, tempting, to look at other people and be like, how on God's green earth are they so cared for? And the question that was so convicting is, are you somehow envious because I'm generous? And oh, by the way, I've been generous with you. And this, this all of a sudden becomes a personal narrative for I think a lot of our lives. And so it's hard to watch bad things happen to good people. We might our, find ourselves even being selective in who we think we want to help. Uh, or serve. Yet God's grace, listen to this, is about extending unfairness to others. It's about extending grace to others because we're in the kind of the same category. One of the ways we describe compassion isn't someone who has a lot giving to someone who has a little. It's simply coming in on an even playing field and saying, no, we're all needy but their needs are simply different than my own. That's our rhythm of compassion. But when we talk about grace, there feels like there's this inequity, there's unfairness to it, and God's trying to help us see that he, he cares for all of his creation. Not just the A students, not just the elder sons in the parable of the prodigal son, not just the rule followers, right? We can understand that in our heads, but it's hard to get into our hearts because it's hard to wonder why God would allow or God would bless or God would care for those people. And maybe we just need to blow up the idea of those people. I want to watch a, a quick video because it captures it well. Many of you, uh, there was a show on years ago. It's called uh, Louis. Uh, it's based on the comedian actor Louis C.K., but he, he really sums up well, especially if you're a parent, uh, what it means to deal with fairness. Fairness. Let's just watch this. Oh my goodness. It is so hard, is it not? And it's very easy to relate to the parent in that, but I guess let's just all put ourselves in the shoes of the kid in that. And the profound words that come out, the only time that you should be like worried uh, or look into your neighbor's wall is worried when, that they have enough. See, when we look at our neighbor and we can go, no, they're cared for. That's heaven on earth. That's the kingdom of heaven at work. That's the grace of God at work. And while we all can testify in gratitude and thankfulness about how God has supplied our needs, have provided for us, and even blessed us, we all still live with our own set of unique needs, desires, and wants. It's just different. And so there is this picture that we have of God trying to call us to this fruitful living, what to do with the blessing of God, and rather than expecting more from God, maybe we get to steward and, 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 and be the fruit of God in another's life. And so 
I, I want to just think about, yes, grace feels unfair. And I think that's what the parable of this generous landowner is or this vineyard workers is. But there, there is a way that I think we can make peace with, with the grace of God. And it's simply asking a couple of questions. First, I would just challenge you in this moment to take a quick inventory of what maybe this last week felt like. Do you remember what Monday felt like? Tuesday? Wednesday? Think about what happened this last week. Think about all of your highlight moments over the last week. What are the things that you can recall that made you feel really good about yourself and maybe even made God proud? Your most lovable moments. Oh, you let someone merge into traffic? I mean, what are your magnanimous moments? You know, you, you gave someone your parking spot? I mean, what are your moments that just felt like, ah, oh, you are loved? Now make a second list and think about all the things you did this week that were not your finest moment. Think about all the things that you did to go, oh gosh, I'm so glad the tape is not rolling on my life. I'm so glad I don't have someone documenting my life. Now do this, throw out both lists. Because the only way that we can really begin to steward the grace of God is when we kind of, you know, become children of God, our choices don't change the nature of our relationship or the affection of God. So we need to make peace with the love and the grace of God by dealing with this sort of economy of scales. Last thing I want to just want to say is I think heaven crashes into earth. It collides with our hearts when we learn to steward grace better. And that doesn't mean tolerance. That doesn't just mean like not confronting anything. I think there's a way to steward grace. And, and the way I would talk about steward and loving grace is I would illustrate it this way. There was in the 11th, uh, kind of 11th, 12th century, uh, a, an old saint, a Benedictine saint by the name of Saint Bernard. He's not the one who the dog was named after. It's a different saint. But Saint Bernard of Clairvaux had a way of talking about loving God and what I would consider stewarding God's grace. And the way he described it, I thought was kind of interesting. I've summarized it for you. But, and, and he had this whole chapter on loving God. But let me just say it this way. He talks about this way that it kind of begins a progression because you don't start with this deep affection for God. And maybe you can play it out in any kind of marriage relationship or, or maybe courtship or maybe even a working relationship as your heart has begun to soften and you've kind of woken up to the reality of how meaningful it's become. But let me simply say, kind of summarize how I think, uh, based on what St. Bernard said, how I think we grow in stewarding the grace of God. He said, at the very beginning, we all start with the idea of love for God starts for, uh, with our own, at our own sake. And what he's basically saying is maybe you wake up to the reality that, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace I'm worth, and, and I just can't do it on my own. And so now you begin to love God, but you love God for your own sake. Oh, I love God because now I don't have to go to hell. I love God because now it's almost like I've got a lucky rabbit's foot to pray to when I feel out of control. I love God because of what God does for me. 
that's always a good place to start, but it's a tragic place to remain if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time. There is something we're invited into, and so when we invite Christ into our life, at some point we have to grow out of being a simple consumer. God is my spiritual Santa Claus, and I keep giving him my Christmas list. He's like, yeah, that's a childish faith. But it's a place where we all need to start. The question is, is where do we grow outside of that? Then St. Bernard would say this, eventually through prayer, through study, maybe through meditation on God's word, maybe through um, uh, getting to know him better, uh, we begin to love God for others' sake. One of the most transformational experiences, one of the things that is part of some of your spiritual sanity, maybe part of your um, spiritual gift mix, is when you serve others. You hear it all the time. It, oh, it just feels good to be able to do this. That's part of Christian growth and maturity, is that we start at this point, we love God for our sake, but then we grow into this idea that we love God, or we, we love God for others sake because what we learn as we grow is God's heart for the world not just for people like me not just to meet my needs not just to care for me not this idea that oh when God Jesus was on the cross you were on his mind it's not a me-centered world God's inviting us to be a part of his restoration in all of the world so understand this is part of the growth and development then he says and for Saint Bernard he believed that the ultimate goal of any life is union with God, kind of this marriage with God or oneness where we find our true selves. That we're, we're, we're it, it use this language, born again and, and one in Christ, this, this holy marriage with God. And what he would say is eventually we grow into loving God for God's sake. What does that mean? Well, have you ever had a really great friendship? We've all had a relationship where we felt sort of used. Oh, I'm a resource person for them. I would say this because now I, I've been both a child, I've been both a young adult, and now I'm a parent. There was a time where uh, all I did was give to my kids without them being able to give anything back. But there was a time where I was a child and all I could do was just take from my parents. And I took their protection and I took their, their sort of safety and I took their resources <clears throat> because that was part of the deal. But then as I grew up, I realized I had a contribution to make. And I began to love my parents more and more as peers and as equals and, as, and, and then over time, we just begin this reciprocal relation. I'm not in a relationship with them for what I can get out of it or what, because they need me. It's simply, I never not, don't wanna have them in my life. This is how it is with God. We will always go to God with needs, fears, concerns, hopefully confession, examination, and repentance. But ultimately, where we're growing in the trajectory of our life is we just learn to love God for God's sake so that, so that when this awful, terrible stuff of this broken world happen, and it will, we don't lose our faith. We don't lose our affection just because God didn't meet 
a need or, or, or somehow meet an expectation. We learn to love God just simply because of who God is. We learn, we learn the character and the attributes and the nature of God. And then we trust God is ultimately loving and caring, not eternally mad at us, but someone who desires deep affection with us. I think that's the picture that we're invited into as we begin to steward grace and love God more. And so stewarding grace is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. It's the evidence of a life surrendered to God centered on Christ. See, what happens is, is we don't change ourselves. What changes us? It's the Holy Spirit being trans being, and transforming our lives. So the Holy Spirit is like this master sculptor taking a hammer and a chisel up to our lives through the difficulty and chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. How about instead of just saying, God, cause this to end, cause me to get over this. How about we pray a prayer and say, God, help me to understand what it is you're trying to shape in me and chisel away all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. That's the picture of what we have through the inworking of the Holy Spirit and chipping away at it. The Christian life is not simply a matter of willpower. It's a willingness to open ourselves up to the Spirit's power, to the Spirit's power. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your living word. Thank you for how you invite us into this intimacy with you. I pray that you would make us aware of the tender and even tough moments of our lives where you're trying to instruct us, where you're trying to guide us, where you're trying to form us. May we be pliable. May we be moldable. May we be like clay on the potter's wheel and you mold us and make us. You shape us further into your image. Father, I pray that we would not get stuck uh, looking at our neighbor's bowl, but we're just concerned that they would experience what we've experienced, heaven on earth, that they would experience it and that they have enough. So make us your vessels, Lord, uh, and make us your vehicles. Make us someone who's, who's being changed and transformed by your spirit, but help us to be change agents in another's life. Help us to bear evidence of the fruit working from the inside out so that we can be sort of citizens of heaven on earth. Let's just sing this old timey song that I grew up singing, um, Spirit of the Living God. Will you just lead us be?